0: The second man was much different. Jesus tells us that the second man spent his time at the gate of the rich man's house. And he calls him a croucher. A croucher is the literal word used, which means he was a beggar. And when people would come to the rich man's house, he would would beg for them to give him something. This is what Jesus says in verses 20 and 21 of chapter 16. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. So his was a really sad story. He was very poor, and he wasn't clothed in a rich robe and fine linen. He was clothed in sores on his body. And he didn't feast every day, but instead he begged to be fed by the scraps, the things that fell from the rich man's table, so that he might get just a little bit to eat each day. So we have here two men whose lives were so very different. Now, the Bible also says both men eventually died being rich can't keep you from that day when God who gives our souls calls them back we die but this isn't the end of their story because the rich man who didn't care much about his soul and didn't care much about God suddenly came to the end of his days of wealth and plenty. when he died. Everything he did and everything he cared for had to do with his flesh and his body, how he dressed and how he lived and how he ate every day. Everything had to do with who he was in this world. But he didn't do anything to provide for his soul and for what might happen to him when he died. Jesus tells it in this way the poor man died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's side the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades being in torment he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus the poor beggar by his side Now, I know that some of you have heard of Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says, believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Abraham was rich, but he lived in this world like a stranger and a pilgrim, the Bible tells us, or like one who was just traveling through on his way somewhere else. Abraham thought about his eternal soul. He thought about what was going to happen to him after his life in this world ended. And he didn't think so much about his flesh in this world. His most prized possession, Abraham's most prized possession, and he was a wealthy man, had lots of riches. But the thing he protected most was his wife. Because he believed that through the child God was going to give them would come the savior of his soul that God had promised to him. And it's the poor crouching beggar covered with sores that Jesus says joined Abraham in heaven. No more sores. No more crouching. He's at peace and he's full of joy and he's with Abraham in heaven. The rich man, however, he ended up in what Jesus calls Hades which is a place of suffering and torment for sins. And from here, he stared up and he saw a long way away, Abraham and the poor beggar, whose name was Lazarus, by his side. And here he was suffering and feeling the pains of of being in this place of torment. And there was Lazarus, the man whose life had been so awful, in joy and peace and comfort. And the rich man, seeing this, cries out to Abraham and he becomes the croucher. He's in this place of torment. He has nothing to comfort him, nothing to help him feel better. So now he's the croucher, he's the beggar. And he cries out to Abraham to have mercy on him and to send Lazarus over to him to dip his finger in some water and let it drop on his tongue. So it would cool his tongue because he was in anguish in flames. When he says that he was in anguish, he's talking about being in very deep and bitter grief that was driven by an intensity produced by the flames around him and about him. Jesus says that Abraham then spoke to the rich man and he said this back to him. The rich man says, Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger and just let me have a drop of water. Please, I beg you. And Abraham says, child, child, talking to the rich man. Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things. You had that nice coat, that rich coat. You had those linen garments. You fared sumptuously every day. You ate and had everything you ever wanted. Remember, you in your lifetime received your good things. And Lazarus in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, talking to the rich man now, he says, a great, there is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able to do so, and none may cross from there to us. When the rich man realized that he was forever lost to this condition, he begged more. And he cried out to Abraham again, crouching. He says, Then I beg you, Father, to send to my father's house, back among the living, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. The the rich man begs, Abraham says, send Lazarus to go talk to my five brothers so that they won't come here to this awful place where I am. And you look at what he begs for. He begs that Lazarus may be sent to the house of his father to warn his five brothers about the dangers ahead lest they should come into that torment. He still hasn't gotten the point, the rich man. He wants Lazarus sent like a slave back into that house where he was treated like a dog to serve the rich man's brothers who are also faring sumptuously every day and living richly in the world. Now, this is the story, and Abraham has an answer. And I want you to hear very carefully the answer because it's very important in understanding what archaeological evidence can and cannot do. We talked about archaeological evidence all week, and we brought up all sorts of examples, the Dead Sea Scrolls, Hezekiah's uh, uh, Tunnel, the Pool of Shalom, and uh, the the, uh, altar on Mount Ebal, with the amulet in it we talked about all those things but what can archaeology do and not do and here's the answer listen to the conversation jesus says that abraham has with the rich man abraham says back to him they have moses and the prophets they have the word of god let them hear them let them hear what's written in the Word of God. And the rich man immediately says, No, Father Abraham, no. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will listen and they will repent and they will believe. If you just send somebody back from the dead, that will convince them. And Abraham cried back across the chasm and he said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Abraham says, if they're not convinced by the word of God, they won't be convinced by anything else. Even if it's somebody who rises from the dead and goes back and talks to them. And warns them now a great commentator, Matthew Henry said, "There's no request granted from hell, and that's true and the answer to the rich man is when when he says, Send Lazarus to save my brothers, the answer is no no Abraham says that they have the Bible as written by Moses and the prophets. Let them hear that, let them believe that, and let them obey that. And the rich man then says back to Abraham, no. <laughs> so he says, the, the, Abraham says to the rich man, no. The rich man says back to him, no. They won't do that. If, you, if they just look at the Bible, they just look at the word of God, they won't hear that, and they won't believe the Bible. But if someone or some spirit from the dead would visit them, kind of like Marley's ghost in Dickens' Christmas Carol, well, then they'll believe. If they only had some evidence other than the word of God, then they would be convinced and repent. But listen to what Abraham says. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If he says they won't hear and believe and obey the word of God, they will not be convinced or persuaded even if someone should rise from the dead. If they refuse to be warned by the word, they can't be convinced or warned by other things. The scriptures of the Old Testament testified concerning Jesus Christ and concerning the sins of men and the calamities things that happen to men in this life things that happen eternally and the testimony was sufficient to leave them without excuse the rich man was convinced if his brothers just heard and saw some new thing they would repent and believe if the message came in a more startling way then they would be bound to hear and believe and obey. As if they just needed something to shake them up a little bit. And some people may be tempted to think the same thing today and believe that if we could just find the right archaeological evidence, something startling, something profound enough, unbelievers would bow and repent and listen and believe and obey. But that's not true. If they will not hear Moses and the prophets and believe by faith, they won't surrender even before the most compelling archaeological evidence. You remember we talked about that little amulet? You remember that, children? That little amulet found on Mount Ebal? That discovery makes our point those who believe the word of God already are thrilled and so excited by that discovery they think it's wonderful that there we found the name Jehovah written long before anybody thought anybody even used the term Jehovah but those who don't hear the word those who don't listen and believe and obey they aren't convinced by anything They say that this find doesn't prove anything. And why do they say that? And how do they prove that the others are all wrong? Well, they can't prove it. And they can't state why why all the evidence is wrong. But what they say is, this can't be true. Therefore, that find can't be true. It must be something else other than what it says it is other than what it plainly is, other than what it testifies to. It has to be wrong. They want it to be wrong because they refuse to believe. And they insist that everyone who believes just has it wrong, even though they can't prove it. In Romans chapter 1, Paul says, "...the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That means push down the truth. Push it so people can't see it. Archaeological finds, they can encourage and strengthen our faith. Help us as we put our trust and faith in the word of God. They can confirm in our hearts what the Bible says is true. It can never be used, and it can even be used by God, I should say, to make an unbeliever doubt his or her unbelief. That's what it does, you see. It makes them doubt their unbelief. And doubting their unbelief, the Lord can use that to bring them to repentance and faith. But their conviction in the word of God for the salvation of their souls rests in God giving them the faith to believe in Isaiah thirty-four sixteen, it says seek and read from the book of the Lord not one of these shall be missing none shall be without her mate for the mouth of the Lord has commanded and his spirit has gathered them faith in God and his word children is a gift from God If he's blessed you with that gift, then you should praise and thank him. And if not, then you should ask him to give you faith in his word and in the work of Jesus Christ to save sinners by dying on the cross for them. If anyone hears the word of God, listens to it, believes it, and obeys it, he or she will find him or herself with Abraham, in the joys and blessings of heaven. We'll look up and see you with Abraham. Jesus says in his word, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me and uh I'm reading two different versions here. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus said. And here's a wonderful thing because the archaeological proof of this, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, won't ever be found. It won't be found because the proof of it is an empty tomb. And while there are places around Jerusalem that have been identified as the empty tomb of Jesus, not, none of them can be proved to be the correct one simply because there's nothing to find there. And there's nothing to find there because Jesus rose from the dead and is now in heaven. His word gave, and his promise is that we will join him there. The beggar Lazarus and all who listen to, believe, and obey the word of God will share in that same promise and hope. So what does archaeological evidence do? It helps to encourage us in our faith. But what is it that saves us? Believing what God says in his word by the grace of God, by the power of the Spirit. Let's turn for our closing hymn to hymn number 137. 137.